Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. How's it going? Hey, Ashley. We are almost through this (sighs) insert adjective here year. (laughs) Yeah. uh, We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's get right into it. We have a couple of announcements today. We do. Um, The first one is a lot of fun. We decided to continue our annual tradition of the Spotify playlist. That is up and live now. You can check it out on Spotify. It's called Kindreds 2020. It's just full of songs that we listened to a lot this year, that got us through this year. I don't know. What about the songs you added, Katie? Well, the funny thing is that I added mine second and I had a list and you had at least three or four of the songs I was going to put on. So we were definitely on the same wavelength. And the one from 2019 gave me so much joy. Yeah. So I hope that the same is true for 2020 for everybody. Maybe a slightly different feel, um, but still really good. Yeah. Um, Other announcements. We have a new patron. I'm so excited. Her name is Adelaide King. Yeah. And she actually found us through an event that I did with my college, Davidson College, here in North Carolina. So um, kind of a cool connection to make. And she said in our patron-only Facebook group, I love to support, encourage, and engage with the sensitive badass in each of us, which (laughs) I I just want to say you're in good company. We love that. And you are so welcome here. And thank you for helping us make the show. And since we are at the end of the year, we just want to give a shout out to all of our amazing, supportive, generous patrons this year who helped keep the show going uh, by helping support the cost of hosting it. So if you would like to join them, you can also become a patron for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash kindreds. And we are so grateful to all of your support. Yeah, we appreciate it so much. So today we are hosting our Third annual, third annual, Katie. I kind of, we've been doing this for three years. I can't believe it. (laughs) We have traditions now. (laughs) We do. Playlists and listener request episodes. This is the time when we invite you to ask us questions or raise topics that maybe we haven't had a chance to cover in an episode this year. So shall we get right in and I'll ask the first question? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so this question comes from friend of the podcast, Ashley Easter, on our Instagram post. Magic versus miracles versus science. Is it all the same, just different names? Mmm, love it. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with it's pretty much the same thing, but some people are more comfortable using one or two of these frameworks over the others. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like how some people use the word God while other people have a problem with God language. So they say universe or source. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to explain this, the, the things that happen in our lives and the, the experiences that we have are complex. But some words we just have different connotations with. Mm-hmm. So I do think sometimes there are people of faith white evangelical Christians in particular who Mm. are anti-science because they say it contradicts their religious beliefs. But I think they're operating out of a framework that for something to be sacred, well, first of all, it has to be biblically, it has to be included biblically, which is just silly. Mm -hmm. Um, But also that it has to be mysterious and unknown. Mm. But to me, just because we have an understanding of something doesn't make it any less divine or sacred. 
Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I was thinking about the field of quantum physics, which I I can't even claim to have any knowledge of whatsoever. I've tried to understand it so many different times, but there is this concept of entanglement that I find really mysterious and beautiful that everything in the universe is energetically interconnected. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are things that science cannot explain yet, ex- emphasis on the yet, because I think mm-hmm. science is always mm-hmm. trying to explain everything. But if and when there's a scientific explanation to some of these things that are mysterious, I will celebrate that. To me, it doesn't take away any of the significance in my life. So personally, I resonate a lot less with the language of magic. Um, I'm not sure why. I've I've really tried to get into that frame of like witchy stuff that you're into, Ashley. And I don't know. It just doesn't click for me, at least not yet. I, I'm not sure if it has to do with a lot of it being based in the earthly elements that I don't connect with as well. I'm not sure. Hmm. But I'm I'm comfortable with the fact that there really aren't contradictions here. There's just different language, all of which have limitations, which is yeah. why I think we need all of them in conversation with each other. What about you? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said, especially the like general premise that magic, miracle, science, it's kind of all the same thing with just differing frameworks and different ways of thinking about it. And also what was once considered magic, we now have scientific explanations for. And I think it's interesting that like once we have the explanation, we abandon thinking of it as miraculous or magical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's kind of interesting. I, I don't know why that is. Well, I have I have some speculations. I think it's because we elevate the scientific over the the magical and the miraculous, like the the scientific mm-hmm. explanation. And I'll um maybe I'll elaborate. <laughs> so <laughs> please do. Yeah, that's why that's I really appreciate this question because I've been thinking about this a lot lately kind of from a different angle and it also kind of explains why maybe I am into a little more of the witchy or magic-y side of of things lately or why why I'm intrigued by it maybe so I've talked about this on the podcast before my background is in nutrition I'm a registered dietitian and so my college experience was all science it was general chemistry, Mm -hmm. organic chemistry, microbiology, anatomy, physiology, all of that, food science, like all of it. I was super entrenched for a long time in this very academic, scientific way of explaining complicated subjects. And I started my career as a dietitian very firmly rooted in nutritional science. I was definitely that person who needed the double-blind, (laughs) peer-reviewed proof, you know, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, there's a place for that. That's good. But along my career journey, as I've talked before on the podcast, my eyes were opened to the way that the scientific medicalized approach and understanding can sometimes fall short or even fail when applied to something as complex and variable as a human body over the course of its lifetime. Mm -hmm. There is just so much we don't know about things that we think we know a lot about, like we do know a lot about there's still so much we don't know, like nutrients, hormones, weight science, why some people live longer than others, genetics, not to mention coronavirus, cancer, right. Alzheimer's. Like it goes on mm-hmm. and on what we don't know. And I've, even though like we learn more every minute, I've come to believe that like science isn't this holy grail. 
um, we can't treat complex human people, especially like machines or just a set of diagnoses. And we lose something about the fullness of what it means to be alive when we close ourselves off to possibilities beyond what we can explain. Mm -hmm. And I think about this a lot because all of that is before we even acknowledge like the biases and assumptions that are so common in scientific research. Often research is done with a white patriarchal lens on often white often male, middle-class subjects, and then those conclusions are taken and applied broadly to everyone. And if folks aren't familiar with the history of, like, for example, seatbelt design in cars and how women, people with breasts, smaller-bodied adults, like, die and are injured because seatbelts were only tested on dummies that were modeled after the height and weight of, like, an average adult male (laughs) – Read the book. If you're not familiar with that, read the book Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Built for Men. And you'll realize the ways that, like, science isn't infallible. Mm. And the scientific model of understanding the world is Western, it's white, and it's patriarchal. And so part of my feminist journey is to be more comfortable with things I can't explain, with listening Mm -hmm. to my own intuition, listening to that of others, listening to people talk about their lived experience and honoring that, even if I can't prove it with science. Science has its place, as COVID has certainly shown us, but I don't want to discount the rest of it, especially when it comes to spirituality. And, um, you know, you and I have both been exploring more intuition-based spirituality. There's a lot about it you can't explain with science. And if and when the science catches up, that'll be awesome. But, like, that doesn't mean there's no value in it now, I guess. Does any mm-hmm. of that make sense? No, you hit on some really good points. And it it elucidates some of our different training. But what you said makes a lot of sense to me. And I was thinking as you were talking about whiteness and perfectionism being mm-hmm. one of the parts of white culture mm-hmm. and perfection connected to control. Mm-hmm. And so much of what you were talking about is like the ideal, the idea of control and perfection in science that you can predict exactly what's going to happen, even with human beings who have so many different characteristics and backgrounds and all of that stuff. And the idea that you could detach that from your findings is just so white and male. <laughs> drives me yes. Nuts. Yes, and I was thinking yes. about just like how fundamentalism can show up with any of these frames. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. It's thinking my frame is perfect, the only mm-hmm. valid frame, and, and I have no regard for any other frames. I think we often think about fundamentalism as just conservative religion, but I really think it can be applied to any sort of worldview or ideology, which again mm-hmm. is a product of patriarchy and white supremacy, as you were talking about. Um and anyone who claims science isn't biased and it's just about, you know, quote unquote facts isn't paying yeah. attention to what you were saying. What is the social location of the scientist who's influencing and shaping the field and who's deciding where the resources go, as you said? Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. I was just doing a little bit of Google research very briefly, and there are some scientists, many of them um, women identifying, I believe, who are studying the science of intuition. So like you said, it'll be really exciting to see what they're what they come up with in terms of data and maybe maybe all that will do is help folks who 
have a sense of what their gut is telling them just to have some data to back it up, you know, so you can trust your gut more, Um, especially for, for women. Women's intuition is really, really helpful based on the findings that I found. Like we're really, really on point in our guts. So listen to your gut. (laughs) Interesting. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, we're just waiting for the science to catch up. That's all it is. That's right. And in the meantime, we'll just listen to our intuition. Yeah, love um, it. Are you ready to move on to the next question? It's a lot different. Yes, although I really okay. could talk about this first one so much more. But yes, we should move I on. I know. Yeah, maybe maybe a future episode would be yeah. could be fun to dig into mm-hmm. that. Okay, so this second question comes from our patron, Katie, through our Facebook group. How can you talk to someone who is so entrenched in right-wing media as to deny reality? (laughs) Ashley, I think you have a little bit of experience with this one. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I feel like there are a lot of layers to this question. And how you talk to someone depends entirely on the context. So... I'll start off by saying that any advice that I'm offering here is for folks with privilege. White, cis people, men, Christians, people whose safety or livelihood does not depend on keeping quiet. This is my advice. If you don't hold that kind of privilege, it is totally like appropriate. Do what you need to stay safe. Block, disengage, walk away, agree to disagree, whatever you have to do to stay safe. So... I want to get that out of the way first. But I do have a lot of experience with this issue because I live in a deeply right-wing part of a deeply right-wing state. And I have to interact with family, acquaintances, folks in the community all the time, neighbors, all the time, people that I disagree with. So speaking from my own experience, I can talk about what I do. And Katie, you, of course, chime in as well. Um, But we'll start with social media, I think, since that's maybe the easiest. For random family and friends on Facebook or social media, I don't engage because the question I'm asking is, what is the goal? You don't change someone's mind on social media. So for me, that is wasted effort. And I could see that if you're like trying to flag misinformation or highlight a different way of looking at an issue, like comment, yes, go ahead. Leverage your privilege, but don't get into a drawn out conversation. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think if someone is posting something racist or sexist mm-hmm. or homophobic and you're somebody with privilege in these areas, speaking up can be really important, not for the person who posted it, but mm-hmm. to the people who are directly impacted by those words who will read what they say and what you say. So. Mm-hmm. That's leveraging your privilege, and I do support that. And there have been a couple of times when I've raised an issue and I've noticed that the people who like it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is someone who's directly impacted by this. But Mm -hmm. then I do walk away. I don't continue to engage. I think that's really wise advice you gave. Yeah, and I want to say, you know, for me, social media is this huge uh, energy drain. Like Mm -hmm. even, even folks I agree with, I can't always handle the constant reminders of like just how terrible everything is in the world. (laughs) Like it's really like for me, I have to protect my energy. So I want to say it is okay to prioritize your mental well-being and block, unfriend, unfollow, mute conversations, mute Instagram feeds, move on with your life and 
center your emotional well-being so that you can save that energy for other more important conversations in your life. So if you're someone who is anxious or stressed by social media, if it's an energy zap, it's totally okay. And I just say that because I'm a person who needs that type of permission, that it's okay to just log off. Mm -hmm. Like That's fine. So I, I offer that permission to our listeners as well. Okay, so that's social media. The The next, uh, I guess, layer is like folks that you're in person with. And so I'll start with like people I care about but I'm not super close to necessarily or just somebody in my life that I have to find a way to get along with, like an extended relative or maybe a colleague or a neighbor. Again, like thinking about what is your goal and and what is it that they're saying because there's different approaches. Are they grumbling about Obamacare premiums? Because that's one conversation. Or are they using a racial slur? Because that's different. Mm. And it's powerful to say to someone, like to shut it down, please don't use that word in front of me or I can't stay here if you're going to continue to talk like that. Like those types of mm, like boundary crossing things are really clear sometimes. And that can almost be easier because somebody said something that really like was a clear boundary cross and so I can shut it down but there's a lot that's less clear and it's not if it's not something that like red flag um, and you are interested in working on that relationship to maybe try to change that person's point of view you have to recognize that it is a long game you don't change someone in one conversation and you don't do it in an adversarial way what do you think Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, I think getting really clear on the why Mm -hmm. is really important. You know, if you have any expectations of what this person is going to do or say in response, I would say forget it. But -hmm. if it's something that has to do with you keeping your integrity or Mm -hmm. speaking your truth or setting a boundary, you know, that is worth doing. Mm -hmm. I also think it's really important to think about what is the impact going to be on you to enter into a dialogue with this person, as you were saying Ashley, the energy toll it's going to take, because it sounds like you know basically what this person is is going to say in response to whatever point you raise if they're really steeped in a particular frame. Yeah. So how are you going to cope with that? You know, is it a good expenditure of your emotional energy? And what are you going to do if and when it goes badly? And I think another point is, why is this person engaging with you? You know, Mm -hmm. you might not know, but sometimes folks are just trying to antagonize um, that happens a lot over social media, but also over text messages, I think. Mm-hmm. And maybe just trying to sort out why they want to engage you would be a good question to answer. Um, and when you know, to your other point about the tone, I obviously have shifted so much in my life. I grew up super conservative, um, you know, religiously and politically in the South, and I have changed so much over time. Um, And I think about the people who have influenced me, and it's really been tied to the depth of the relationship that we had. People who Mm -hmm. were invested in me, who cared about me, where we cared for each other, where the connection was not always adversarial. And they spoke to me with truth, but also compassion and kindness. So who is this person and what kind of relationship do you already have with them? Is it trusting? Is it loving? Do you otherwise get along? Because I think those Mm -hmm. are going to be indicators of what opportunities are actually there in having the kind of conversation where there's a true exchange of ideas where you might actually be able to have them ask themselves something internally that they haven't considered before. So like really assessing 
where you are in that relationship, I think, is a really important part. Mm-hmm. I think that's spot on. And from a practical standpoint, I can offer some things that I've tried. Um, number one, it's really good to have a plan. Think about all of this ahead of time. And like Katie said, think about the people in your life who have taught you things and brought you along and think about how they did it and try to model based on that. And then I would suggest starting with asking questions with Mm -hmm. the intent to really understand their perspective, not to try to uh, agree with them, but to understand where they're coming from so that you can build on that for later. So questions like, what makes you say that? Or I'm not familiar with that. Can you uh, explain more? You know, if they're mentioning a pundit or a news resource or something like that, like, I'm not familiar with that. Can you tell me more about it? Here is a response I really love. And this comes from Rachel Miller's article in Vice this summer, which we'll link in the show notes. It was called How to Talk to Relatives Who Care More About Looting Than About Black Lives. Ooh. Yeah, it's yeah. a great article. It speaks to a lot of this with the very specific focus on the protesting this summer. But what she says is, and I just love this, I'm surprised to hear you say that because that's not in line with what you taught me growing up or what I expect from you. And mm. I just, I really love that because it does kind of push at It's interesting you say that because you've said so many other things that are the opposite. Right. What are your values? Yes. It really gets at the values. Um, And so over time, you may find an entry point or an article or a video or a book or something that you can suggest. It's not easy and you have to kind of keep your cool. You may have to save your feelings, your energy for the next conversation. You know, if someone says something that's really pushing your buttons. But another thing you can do is to enlist help. This is something that I have specifically done around holidays in the past. I have strategized with my siblings about how we're going to shut down right-wing BS at the family dinner table, basically. And we talk about, like, who's going to say what? Who's going to have their back? You know? Like, find the people that understand and come up with a little bit of a strategy because at the very least you can shut stuff down. And if there's a person – present at your gathering or whatever who's going to be hurt personally by that kind of rhetoric you know that is part of a you know marginalized community that is affected like show up to have their back you can really root and like ground yourself in I'm gonna I'm gonna take this on for this person so they don't have to and so there's just a lot of strategy you can think about going into something but I would just say having a plan enlisting help having some back pocket questions those are all the like main tips I have I think Hmm. no that's really good because I think folks can also feel emboldened to be the bully mm-hmm. and so having kind of a, a team approach of how you're gonna take some energy out of that conversation is really helpful and just to know you're not alone is also mm-hmm. really helpful. It might make you feel a little bit more brave. Uh, you know, and you've been talking about having in-person conversations. And I think that that's really important if you're going to be talking about things that are substantive. You know, doing stuff like this over text message or social media, as we've already said, is just the quickest mm-hmm. way to escalate things. Things get mm-hmm. lost in in text and subtext and there's just room for misinterpretation. And I also feel like sometimes with text messages, people can just drop you a link to some inflammatory thing 
and just like put it at your feet yep. and then you decide if you're going to react to it. Like they might have put zero yep. energy into it and then it yep. sucks all of yours up. So just be careful about, again, the expenditure of energy. And is this person maybe like trying to get a rise out of you? That's certainly not worth your time. Yeah. Um, just don't get into that verbal ping pong. It leaves everybody feeling bad. Yeah. So I think my last little wrap up is just to pause. You know, that's just good for any kind of conflict. Mm-hmm. Don't react, respond. And that requires mm-hmm. assessing your relationship, thinking about the impact it's going to have on you. And this, to talk about intuition, this might be a really good time to tune into your intuition and ask yourself, is engaging in this with this person in this way at this time helpful or not? And if your body says no, or you get the message no one way or another, just drop it. Send that person some love, knowing we're mm-hmm. all on a journey. It's not on you you know, mm-hmm. to help this person along if they don't want it and just let it go. Yes, I totally, totally agree. And I feel like I can't leave, I can't end this conversation without addressing something that's kind of been on my heart a lot lately. So I do, the last thing I want to say is this, and this goes for all listeners, not just um, Katie who asked this question. If your question really is something along the lines of, how do I heal from the hurt of watching someone I love become unrecognizable to me, mm-hmm. watching them follow a sad and dangerous path away from me and seemingly everything I value, hmm. that is where my heart goes out um, because I really, really understand where you're coming from and I just want to offer this. Lessons from therapy, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Free therapy it's, on country. Yeah. <laughs> it's the close friends and family that are the hard ones for me. Like, my grandparents come to mind. These are people whose hearts I know. They are deeply good, loving people who love me, whose worldviews have been shaped and influenced by their life experiences. And the older they get, they're more controlled by their fears and the people who prey on those fears, like Trump. So in my specific case, and without going into too much personal detail, I would say that it's been helpful for me to try to understand the context of my family's story, which includes things like rising from generational poverty through military service and all of that, just the patriarchal nature of a lifetime of being in the military combined with trauma and PTSD from war experience, the lack of resources and mental health care for that. I mean, and all of that layered with uh, the white Southern evangelical Christian environment over a lifetime, you know, all of that doesn't excuse it, but it does help explain it for me. And Mm -hmm. the reasons and the experiences are going to be different for everyone. But something I've been learning about in therapy about just how to think about this is really asking what life experience must someone go through? What must a person's journey be to result in a place that is so firmly rooted in denial and fear? It's incredibly sad to think of someone who's unable to imagine a liberatory future Mm, where everyone has what they need and not at the expense of someone else. 
Ooh. It's really, it's really sad to think about that. Mm. And that is where I can find compassion. I can start from that place of compassion in relationship with folks. Um, and I'm not saying it's easy at all, but I do know that I'm not, I'm not going to make any headway and I'm not going to be able to be in relationship with someone that I feel condescension toward resentment toward, um, and there might not be opportunity for healing the relationship, but I can heal my own place in it. And I can ground myself in gratitude for the journey that has taken me to a different place. And if I'm totally honest, my grandparents helped foster that journey, you know? And so I can approach them with gratitude for everything they've given me that have brought me to this place, even if we're in different places. And I personally just cling to the knowledge that I might not be able to change my family story going backward, but I can help change it going forward. So mm. that is what I have to offer for folks that find themselves in the in this sort of new reality of watching our loved ones become different people in front of our mm. eyes. Um, I think that's happening a lot in church spaces right now, to be totally frank. Um, and so, you know, you might not be able to change other people, but you can take care of yourself. Mm, That's a good word. That's a good word. And just thinking about how you can be, you can heal your family's generational trauma. You can bring an end to it and not perpetuate it, just like you were Mm -hmm. saying. So doing that work of understanding the complexity and and not going to the place of you know these people are horrible but yeah holding their holding their pain and why they got where they are with compassion really heals you so that you can be a different kind of person that's really good I'm sorry that you've been through that and how painful that must be to watch you know none of my grandparents lived past my early 20s I lost I only knew two of my grandparents and only my the last surviving one in my early 20s. So I just didn't have that kind of adult relationship with them. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I romanticize that. But as you're talking, I realize that there's actually probably a lot of complexity in knowing adult family members when you are an adult versus when you're a child and like really seeing their full humanity rather than the, mm-hmm. the role that they play. So Mm -hmm. I just appreciate that a lot more and just send you a lot of love, Ashley, as you're working through that. And I'm, I'm proud of you for taking that on in your lifetime because that is tough, tough work. And your, your son is going to benefit from that. That's, (laughs) that's my hope (laughs) anyway. Oh, that's our, all of our hopes. (laughs) Right, right. So last question. Are we ready to move on? I should say. We, I, I think we're ready because this is going to be, we're going to end on, on something that gives us hope, I think. Yeah, some good stuff. Okay. Yeah. So Jan asked on our Facebook patron page, who is your new favorite elected official and why? Oh, I love this question. Me too. And there are so many good people to choose from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. My pick, <laughs> my pick is representative, soon to be representative Cori Bush from Missouri. Yes. Oh, I just got chills thinking about it. She is amazing to me. I was reading more about her. She's trained as a nurse. She's a pastor. She's a community leader. She's been an activist with Black Lives Matter in Ferguson. And she's the first black woman ever to represent Missouri in Congress. So she's persistent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's run three Mm -hmm. times for Congress. 
and she finally won. She beat her longtime incumbent, you know, just, I don't know. It's amazing. It's really hard to beat an incumbent who's been in office that long. Yep. Um, and then she defeated her Republican opponent by 79 to 19%. That is so, wild. It's just like <laughs> sweeping the floor. And she's also a single mom on top of all of that. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it's very inspiring. And I love how she is already pointing out just how much economic privilege is expected of members of Congress and how this makes holding office really, really hard for people who are not independently wealthy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the the gender gap there of women who spend a ton of money on their professional wardrobes way yep. more than their male counterparts. So some of y'all might have seen on November 10th, she tweeted, the reality of being a regular person going to Congress is that it's really expensive to get the business clothes I need for the Hill. So I'm going thrift shopping tomorrow. Should I do a fashion show? (laughs) You know, because they don't get their first paycheck until, you know, sometime in January, but they are expected to show up and be dressed for the job. Right. right. You know, well before that. And and then the best was I love how like the squad of the badass young women in Congress Young women of color in particular, like, came to her side when she was asking, how do you afford all of these expensive clothes to wear? And they were sharing, like, their their tricks and where they go. And there were all these offers to, like, you know, get her some accessories and things. It was just such a great display of that solidarity and community of this, you know, up-and-coming generation of elected officials. So, Representative Cori Bush from Missouri. I can't wait to yes. see what she does. Yes, same. And I'm just, she's going to be my pick too. I'll just make it easy. I saw the article that you were talking about, about going to the thrift store. She like posted some pictures of herself Mm -hmm. in different coats and things like that Mm -hmm. in the thrift store. So cool. And I am reminded of a panel discussion that I went to a few years ago put on by our Mississippi Humanities Council. And it was called, Why Don't More Women Run for Elected Office? And it was all about things like Childcare, um, the cost mm-hmm. of campaigning, um, the, just the different expectations of of women, and the economic part was absolutely highlighted. And so I'd known about like how hard it is and expensive it is to campaign, but mm-hmm. I didn't. It just never occurred to me that like you need business clothes to be a congressperson, and those are expensive. And um, yeah, just like to be a congressperson, how expensive it must be to live in D.C. Um, AOC right. has talked about that a lot, too. Like just being able to afford to live in an expensive city and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and you're expected it. to basically live in two places. You're expected yes. to be able to live in D.C. and yep. live in your hometown, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, members of Congress make six figures, but it's not that much money if you think about – how yeah. like the expense of having two households or like you said yes. having child care like all of the it's not designed for folks like representative bush you know what i'm saying like that's on right. purpose right that's on purpose exactly exactly it is on purpose oh. mm-hmm. okay well we said we were going to end on a fun note so well they're doing <laughs> it together maybe that's what yes. i love is like this group is they're figuring it out in community so yeah yes. it's still on a high note <laughs> Yes, it's super inspiring. We love it. All right. So we have kind of quit our practice, or we put it on pause, I guess, of talking about Mm -hmm. the things that we're reading and listening to and watching. And so we thought it'd be fun to just do like a quick rapid fire, what's helped us get through the year in terms of like our music and books and things we're escaping into. 
Yes. Okay. Um, so I will start. I was late to the party for both The Good Place and Schitt's Creek, but those are my two, like, it's, they just, they got me through this year, honestly. <laughs> and the bonus was I was able to watch it all, like binge it all. So I didn't have to mm-hmm. wait. Um, my favorite book this year was The City We Became by N.K. Jemison, who is a science fiction writer. I think she's most well known for the Broken Earth trilogy, which is about like climate change and the dystopian future. And I have not read that, but The City We Became was so much fun. If you like science fiction, I highly encourage you to pick it up. I cannot wait for more sequels and I want it to be a movie. And the last thing is episode I don't know if you listened to this. Episode 167 of Reply All called America's Hottest Talk Line. Did you listen to this Mm -mm. or did you hear about this? Okay. It's Mm -mm. just delightful, everybody. So this story actually originated in Mississippi, and I remember this happening. So over the summer, our health department put a 1-800 number like like on Facebook, call this number for coronavirus information, and people were calling that number, and it was taking them to a recording for a sex talk line. (laughs) And they were (laughs) posting on Facebook like, Mississippi what's going on what's happening right here and they like the health department came back and they were like we don't honestly know try this number instead and they like just and it kind of it was this like funny what happened no one knows and and it moved on you know but reply all did a whole episode about that because it's apparently happening all the time with all kinds of 800 numbers and the reporter follows the story and just the where it ends up is so sweet and lovely and delightful and funny. Really? Uh, yes. Yes. I know. I know. So I highly, oh highly recommend it for just some like lighthearted, like this is weird and also really sweet. <laughs> All right, Katie, oh what goodness. about you? Who knew there would be something fun and lighthearted to come out of COVID times? But <laughs> I know. Leave it to reply all to find the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I this year I feel like I have just let go of all noble pursuits in terms mm-hmm. of how mm-hmm. I spend my mm-hmm. my quote unquote free time, which is very very short. I I let my Goodread goal go for the year. I'm like not trying to read or or oh, tell yeah. everybody what I'm reading. My read mm-hmm. harder challenge. No, 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 no. <laughs> I do not need any more goal setting for this no. year. So um, I'll share a couple of mine. Um, some shows have gotten me through. Yeah, the last season of Schitt's Creek, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The OA on Netflix, which is really uh, a show that will transport you. And if you love yes. mystical things, it's um, it's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. I also rewatched the entire uh, series of Golden Girls from beginning to end. I love that so much. <laughs> I love it that was you really that. good. And right now we're watching The Queen's Gambit, which is just as good as everyone is talking about. Oh, Another good. We're going to start escape. that next, I think. Yeah, it's really good so far. So um, music-wise, John Legend's latest album, Bigger Love, and Leslie Odom Jr.'s Mister have been mm. really great, soothing background music. Kind of similar in terms of their style. Um, on the podcast side, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is really fun. If you haven't it? listened to it, Mm-mm. it is. I mean, again, you have to sort of listen to the folks, the guests that you're excited about, but there there have been times when it's really made me laugh out loud while I'm listening to it. So 
That's fun. That's a super fun comedy one. And another one that I've loved, a recent find that I think you're listening to now is Celebrity <laughs> Book Club, where they mm-hmm. look at celebrity women's memoirs, and um, they're always in conversation to comedians talking about them. And you learn a lot about these celebrities that you might not have sat down and actually wanted to read their memoir, but their lives are really interesting. We both yes. love the Jessica Simpson episode. Oh my gosh. I have so much empathy and compassion for her that I just right. didn't... <laughs> Just it's them no telling idea. their own side of yeah. things, you know? Yeah. And the one about Mariah Carey is also really good. I didn't know a lot about her life. Um, and so last, we'll have to shout out to the Book of Longings again. That yes. was definitely a book that transported me. And then I've just been reading a bunch of these psychological thrillers and suspense that I couldn't even tell you the titles of. They're just like... <laughs> What I read, oh, I see what the library has, and I I take them just as like an escape. And I don't know, they always surprise me. I'm not good at predicting these books, so I'm always like, what? That's (laughs) fine. Which is always just a fun thrill. So those are mine. I think that's it for this episode. Any last words for 2020, Ashley? None that are fit for the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? It's like... Thank you for the service and yes. thank you next in the words of Don't Ariana Grande. Don't let the door hit ya. Right. <laughs> so we will be back in 2021. In the Yay. meantime, please be in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, we have our Instagram account at Kindred's Podcast, or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. So that's it for this episode and for this year. And we will talk with you soon. Talk to you in 2021. All right. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 